Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Before I taught, we prayed for people with anxiety. And I had two people come to me this last week and say that panic attacks had stopped um, and that anxiety had stopped. Isn't that awesome? And my hunch is there are actually more. And so actually, if you just received breakthrough in the area of anxiety last week, would you raise your hand real quick? Isn't that awesome? Come on. So cool. And then we actually prayed... uh, our, our prophetic team had a word of knowledge, which is basically God saying what he's doing, um, about somebody with a hurt back and lower leg. That person, actually a young lady, came forward last week, received prayer, and that pain was immediately gone. I actually, uh, she lives around the corner from me and actually saw her running last week down my street. So that's pretty awesome. I love what God is doing in our family. He's, he's real. It's like the stuff in here was not just for a few thousand years ago, but it's actually for today. That it's living and active and that it, it's active in our lives and that the same God that was in Jesus is actually in us. And so I'm excited as, as we look more at the story of David because I think you're going to leave here more encouraged than you actually thought possible. So would you turn with me to first? Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to look at David and Goliath. Have you ever felt like you're David and David and Goliath, anybody? A little bit? Just me. Okay. Here's what I'd like uh, for us to leave with, is that you are David and David and Goliath, but this story does not say what you always thought it said. So let's jump in. First Samuel chapter 16, or chapter 17, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched their camp at Ephes Damon. I didn't cuss, that's in there. Between Soko and Azekah and Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. So here's what we, we need to understand when we're looking at Old Testament passages um, that involve warfare. That under the New Covenant, the way that we see stuff is actually our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? Ephesians 6.12 tells us that. And so what we get out of Old Testament warfare is actually what spiritual warfare looks like for you and I. And so it's important to understand the delineation there because then we get to learn something about spiritual warfare as we're reading these stories. And it says, The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another in the valley, in the valley between them. So I got on Google and I Googled those places and they actually exist. Like it's not just a made-up story, but those places actually exist. And it's actually a pretty incredible uh, Landscape. We'll dig a little bit more into that as we go. Verse 4. A champion named Goliath. Say Goliath. Who was from Gath. Gath. Yeah, you wanted to say Gath, so you can say it. Here's the interesting thing. When Joshua, years before this, hundreds of years before this, was going into the promised land originally, they faced some giants. 
And the giants that they faced, most of them they killed. Some of them they did not kill. And they actually left for the generations that would follow them. We stand at a unique moment in history. We've never been here before. And the giants that we're facing, if we face them all and deal with them appropriately the way that God would call us to, then we will not leave them for the next generation to face. And so there are things that you're fighting in your life. There are things that we're fighting in culture. There are things that we're up against that we can either turn a blind eye to and say, hey, that was good enough for us. Or we can face them head on and see them defeated so that our kids and their kids and our kids' kids' kids won't have to face the same stuff that we're facing today. So it says, a champion named Goliath was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was six cubits and a span. Now, I don't measure that way anymore, so I had to look it up. It means nine foot nine. That's a big old boy. (laughs) So around 1960, the Indiana Medical Journey came out with an article on Goliath. And what they believe, and I'll explain a little bit more why, is that he actually had a medical uh, issue called acromegaly. And guys like Andre the Giant, some of you uh, who are older than me would remember who he is. He was a big wrestler. He died at a young age actually because of acromegaly. And what acromegaly does is it attaches to your pituitary gland and it causes you to grow. And so it causes giantism. And what happens with giantism is this, is that you grow massive, not just tall, but you're like strong and bulky. bulky. You have uh, extra HGH, which is what the baseball, troubles, baseball players get in trouble for using. These guys have it naturally. And so there was a whole group of people that lived in Gath and a few other cities that had acromegaly, and they grew to be giants. The interesting thing about these men and probably women who grew to be giants, is that they were massive and they were incredible at hand-to-hand combat. But the interesting thing that you and I need to know from this story is that giants aren't, aren't always what they seem to be. You see, the problem with acromegaly that makes you so big and strong is that it also affects your vision. And so you become incredibly nearsighted, which would explain why as we go down uh, into, uh, let's see, verse 41, it says that he was led onto the battlefield, Goliath, by his shield bearer. Why? Because he couldn't see very well. He didn't know where he was going. And then if you look at the verse before that, it says, I'm sorry, in verse 43 it says, He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Here's the interesting thing. David did not come at him with sticks. He came at him with a stick. He had a staff. Acromegaly also causes double vision. And so here you have this man who is a giant and looks incredibly fierce. The only problem is, that he has incredible weak areas. That if you fight him on his terms, you lose every day. But if you fight him the right way, you win every day. 
Here's what I'd like for you to get out of this story. David was not an underdog. Ten out of ten times, I promise you, David wins that fight. Here's what I want you to get for you out of this. You are not the underdog. You are not the underdog. If Jesus is in you, then 10 out of 10 times you are created to win, to be victorious every single time. And we've got to stop thinking, Christians, as if we are the underdogs, as if we don't have a chance, as if the world is out to get us and realize that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in us. That we are more than conquerors. I don't care what your situation is. I don't care what you came out of. You are more than a conqueror if Jesus lives in you. You're not the underdog. Say it with me. I'm not an underdog. There we go. We can go home now. And it says in verse 7, we'll keep going. It says, his shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels and his shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted, to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. So here's what's going on. This was not a rare occasion, but in ancient days, the way they would fight is there would be two armies that would stand against each other. And if they fight each other, the bloodshed is gruesome. And so when you have two armies that are similar in ability, what everybody realizes is this is about to be a bloodbath. Probably what will happen is that our army becomes so weak that somebody else can actually take us on. And so what they would do is called single man combat. And in single man combat, you would pick your two greatest warriors and you would have them meet in the field. And whoever won that fight their whole army won the war, won the battle. And so it would be like now they all become their subjects. And so that's what's going on here. The interesting part of this story is that here you have Goliath who is nine foot nine inches. He stands far above everybody else. But in the other camp you have a man named Saul who is king who is supposed to be the defender of his nation. And it's said of Saul that he stood head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. Saul is supposed to be the man that goes into combat here. And yet, his cowardice leaves his fight for the next generation. His passivity is actually what causes his name to be dishonored and the name of David to be honored. Leadership cannot afford passivity. Saul's passivity had already been decided, but it was a part of what cost him his throne. Verse 10, then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Goliath was not the Israelites' problem. Goliath was not the Israelites' problem. The problem that you see in front of you is not your problem. The problem that the Israelites had was a problem of fear. Their fear about the problem was a bigger problem than the problem. 
your fear about the problem is a bigger problem than the problem. And when we get stuck in fear, it will cost us our inheritance. And so often we get paralyzed by fear and we get stuck. I heard one guy say it this way, fear is actually faith in the enemy. Another way to think about it, fear is imagining a future without God. All of these things you can see going on in Israel, they're terrified. They're terrified because of the giant they see instead of the God that they don't see. Verse 12, now David was the son of... Uh, was, let's see, now David was the son of an Ephite named Jesse who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons and in Saul's time uh, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. Sounds like tongues. David was the youngest The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth to Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward, and every morning and every evening, he took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander. Everybody said, yum. I love cheese. (laughs) To the commander of their unit. It's interesting. The commander gets cheese. Everybody else gets like some bread and stuff, but he gets cheese. That's good honor right there. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left his flock in the, share, in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and sent out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp uh, as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines. David was a fight looking for a place to happen, I think. And asked his brothers, because he knew who he was. If you know who you are, then you're not going to back down from a fight. Now, I'm not saying we go pick fights with people. But again, this is about spiritual warfare. When we know who we are, we don't go backing down from a fight. But we actually go looking for it. It is good. Y'all can say amen if you want. Let's see. I was trying to buy some time to figure out where I was. As he was walking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lions and shouted the usual defiance. They got used to it. Are you used to the enemy's defiance? Don't get used to it. And David heard it. And whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt him from his taxes in, in Israel. Sounds like Saul is scared. And it sounds like all of the people have taken on a victim mentality. What are we going to do about it? We can't do this. Who are we to go there? 
David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine? He's already figuring out what he's going to get. He's already, do you see that? He's not saying for the man who faces the Philistine. He's saying what's going to be done for the man who kills this Philistine? He's looking through Goliath into his future. Why? Because he knows who he is. Paul writes Timothy in 1 Timothy 18, or 1.18. I think it's going to be up here. Wait for it. There it is. So Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this very responsibility in keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry. In keeping with the prophecies spoken over you with this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. For there are many who reject these virtues and are now destitute of the true faith. David was already anointed king. He was not yet appointed king. So he knew prophetically two things to be true. He knew that he was supposed to be king and he wasn't yet. And he knew that this man, Goliath, stood as a threat to his kingdom that he had not yet received. And so he knew prophetically that Goliath must fall. What is it that God's already spoken to you? What is it that he's already said, this is who you are, this is where you're going, this is the call of God on your life? Don't let giants cause you to back down. Don't allow the enemy's whispers to keep you from stepping into your destiny. If you know who you are, then you know where you're going, and the Goliath in front of you is something that you see through to get to your destiny. And it says, let's see, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Meaning this, he, has a, he doesn't have a covenant with God. You see, circumcision was a sign of covenant. So he's saying, who is this man who has no covenant with God? You see, you have a covenant with God in Jesus and so when the enemy comes against you, you don't stand on your own strength. You stand on the strength of your covenant. Because covenant partners defend each other. And so you know that when the enemy comes against you, he's not picking a fight with you. He's picking a fight with God and his family. And so you remind him, hey, who are you to come at me? I've got a covenant. I'm under the new covenant. I've got the blood of Jesus. What are you going to do to me? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this. This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned in anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And whom, with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. That older brother is the voice of religion. And the voice of religion will always try to put you in your place when you're being obedient to God. Amen. Who are you to go there? Amen. And he uses all of this stuff. The interesting thing about David's brothers is that every single one of them was there when David was anointed to be king. And not by some random guy, by Samuel, who everybody knew was a prophet. 
Now what have I done, said David? Can I even, can't I even speak? When he then turned away to someone else, he brought this up the same matter. And the men answered before him what David had said and overheard the report and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. Saul found a little bit of courage and he sends for David. The world is looking for a little bit of courage. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I love this. It's 2 Timothy 1.7. I think it will be up on the screen. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That's what David's living out of. He's like, what, who, I'm not going to be scared of this. If you're wrestling with fear and timidity, sometimes we get so accustomed to the stuff that we wrestle with that we actually start to believe that it's us. And I, I remember growing up, I've shared this story with you a few times, but when I was little, I had this weird experience being in front of people, I was the Christmas ornament in a, a big Christmas tree choir. Yeah. And there was a camera in the back, and so I thought that everybody was, I thought the news was actually looking at me. And it terrified me. It terrified me so much that I, I hated to be in front of people. And what I realize is that the enemy is just a big liar. And so often we actually get attacked in the place of our calling. Where is it that there is your most significant attack? And I'll tell you something. The devil knows something about you that you don't yet know. That he has figured out where you're called and he's going to try to shut it down even before it ever surfaces. Think about Moses and the infanticide in those days or Jesus and the infanticide in his day. See, the enemy wants to shut you down. But you don't have a spirit of fear and timidity, but of love, Amen. power, and a sound mind. Amen. And he's going to try to accuse you, and he tries to use our stuff against us. I remember as a teenager wrestling with pornography. In fact, I would say that was the giant that kept me from stepping into my destiny. You see, as a high schooler, I had different leadership positions offered to me by my peers, by youth pastors and coaches and all that kind of stuff. I got voted into an office that I didn't run for in school. <laughs> Serious. Maybe it's because nobody wanted to do those things and so they just figured I'd be the sucker. I don't know. But, <laughs> but there was a call of leadership on my life at a young age. And I, I remember thinking, I'm struggling with this. I've got no place to lead. And, and and I had been given actually bad counsel on that specific issue, that you're going to struggle with this for the rest of your life. This is like, this is just something that men deal with. This is, this is the thorn in your side. All of that kind of stuff that's just ridiculous. You see, my, my problem was not pornography. My problem was the mindset about it. And it was the giant in front of me appearing to be bigger and stronger and better than it actually was. And it was trying to still for me the call of God on my life. 
And what I found is that in Jesus there is freedom. And what I found actually is that try harder wasn't the key, but receive his love for me was. I don't know what giant is standing in front of you, but I'd like for you to begin to take up the mindset that it is a mirage, that it is a liar, that it is powerless compared to what's in you. If it's addiction, if it is family history, if it is the way that your mind works, that it is not stronger than the one who is in you. And so often we get stuck by what we see instead of believing what we don't see. And so David says to him, Saul replies to David, you are not able to go fight against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to him, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued it and the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear and will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Your secret breakthrough. David was fighting the lion and the bear when nobody else was watching. There are things that you're facing right now. Nobody else can see it. Nobody else is watching. But it is your training for public victory. You're in training. Whatever you're dealing with right now is training for where God's taking you. And if you'll face it, recognizing what David said there, the Lord who rescued me, it's the Lord who's fighting your battles. He's just asking that you would co-labor and participate with him. What is it that you're facing? Where are you hopeless? Where are you stuck? Where are you wrestling? Where do you keep repeating the same patterns? God wants to bring breakthrough. You're not stuck. You're just in training. Say, I'm in training. You're in training, just like David, for reigning. You see, you are supposed to be royalty. You've been adopted into the family of God, and you're supposed to be victorious, and you have access to everything that's his. You're in training because you're supposed to be living out of every spiritual blessing that you've received in Christ Jesus. And the enemy in front of you is actually the opportunity for you to take it up a notch. And so let's take it up a notch. And Saul said, go, and the Lord be with you. He's like, "Uh, okay, you got this. I'm scared. You're not. Why don't you go? Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. David says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. So often 
people want to put armor on you, put responsibility on you, comparison on you, and try to make you be something that you're not. The truth is we do it to ourselves so often. I don't need us all to put armor on me. I put the wrong armor on all the time. I remember years ago when I was doing college ministry, and I, I, Lauren and I had just been to this conference, and so we heard this, like, fire preacher guy. I mean, it was like, this guy was incredible. And so I got up on stage that, that next week and, and, and preached and tried to preach like him. <laughs> and and I, I'm grateful that I have at least one honest person in my life. And so Lauren says to me, she says, Joel, you're not him. Don't be him. Let me say to you, you're not anybody else. Don't try to be anybody else. Don't say, well, if I could be like them, then I could do what I want to do. No, you were created by God to be who you are, to do what he's called you to do. We don't need another somebody else. We need you to be you. And who you are is enough. And some, there are some people in here who have been trying really hard to be what they're not. In fact, culture has even said, well, you, you, you're that way. That's just who you are. And try to put people in a box. And that's not who you are. You're who God says you are. And if you don't know who that is, then press into him because he'll tell you. Be you. I'm going to be me. I'm not going to be that guy. It didn't, it didn't work out so good. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Philistine, oh wait, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag and with the sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Here's the interesting thing. A guy named Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell does a TED Talk on this called David and Goliath. It's really, really good. And what Malcolm Gladwell, he's a historian and a sociologist, and what he figures out is that the rocks in that valley are different than most rocks. They're actually made up of barium sulfate. Say barium sulfate. Barium sulfate, barium sulfate is twice the density of a normal stone. And so, by the way, David did not have a slingshot. He didn't have, like, Huck Finn's little toy. He actually had a sling that would hurl that barium sulfate stone at between 80 and 100 miles an hour. It is, it is said that in that day that battles were not won by infantrymen but by artillery. David would have been considered artillery. And it's actually said that slingers of that day could take a uh, bird out of flight because they were so accurate. And what Malcolm Gladwell figured out is this, is that that barium sulfate stone coming out of that sling at 80 to 100 miles an hour would have hit Goliath in the forehead about like a 44 caliber pistol would. You see, the way that David decided to fight Goliath was not the way that a lot of us do warfare. He didn't fight Goliath on Goliath's terms. He fought him on his. What is the strength that God's given you, and how has he given you the ability to fight? Stop fighting battles on the enemy's term. So often, we come at the enemy and try to fight him on his terms. 
says, so meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked at David and saw uh, that he was a little more than a boy glowing with health. That's awesome. Maybe more than health. And handsome. And he despised him and he said, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. That didn't do him much good. Come here, he said, and all give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistines, you come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. That's how we fight, in the name of the Lord. We talked about this a few weeks ago. When we use the name of the Lord, what we're not doing is putting a cute little ending to our prayer. When you use the name of the Lord, you're using his likeness, his image. It's as if he was standing there himself. You might as well start picturing you when you start praying in the name of Jesus. Picture Jesus right there with you praying what you're praying. You see, when we pray in the name of Jesus, it's the name above every other name. When we pray in the name of Jesus, the enemy flees. The name of Jesus is a strong tower. It's a refuge. It's a place that we can go and hide. It's where you get protection. It's where you get life. You have been given the name of Jesus, and so use it. But don't use it as if it was some sort of magic word. Use it in faith, knowing that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in you, that you actually have been authorized to use the name of Jesus to declare war. Let's stop living on retreat, by the way. Let's stop like, like just fighting the fights that are in front of us, but let's take enemy territory. Diane's excited, at least. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Okay, what's your giant? I've already asked you that question, what's your giant? And now here's what I want you to do. I want you to, in your mind, just say, that giant's going down. In the name of Jesus. He's done defying the Lord. He's going to fall, and the world's going to see. Amen. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. David wasn't scared. Don't be scared. <laughs> Don't be scared. Let's stop being scared. Let's stop being afraid. Our fear about the problem is a bigger problem than the problem itself. Let's stop being afraid. Let's run straight into the battles. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching in his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. What's in your hand? What is it that you have to fight with? What has God already entrusted to you that's yours to fight with? He's given you everything that you need. 
David ran and he stood over him and he took, the, took hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. No weapon formed against you will prosper. In fact, what the enemy intends to kill you with will be used against him. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. The men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn all along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. They plundered their camp. We've been afraid to go into battle, not realizing that the provision for our destiny is in the enemy's camp. You see, so often we shrink back, but if we'll step forward, if we'll be like David and run towards the battle line, what we'll find is this, that in the enemy's possession is the treasure of heaven that was always meant to be ours. Every provision that you need is there. So David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapon in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this man is. If they don't know who you are now, they're going to find out. As soon as David returned, From killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. It's a sight. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked. David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. Whose son are you? Whose son are you? And whose family do you belong Whose lineage are you in? You belong to Jesus. You've been adopted into his family. That's who you are. And when we start to recognize who we are, we start to recognize what we're called to. Your anointing rests on your assignment. God has anointed you to do what he's created you to do. There is grace on you to do it. There is grace on you to face down giants. And those giants may be spiritual warfare. It may be that the giants ahead of you are are, uh, generational patterns of sin. It may be that the giants ahead of you are actually breakthrough in technology. It may be that the giants ahead of you are, are for incredible artistic display. But whatever it is, the giants ahead of you should no longer intimidate you. Because your destiny lies on the other side of those giants. Like Archie just said, we win. I love what Romans 8.37 says. It says that in Jesus we are more than conquerors. 
Would y'all stand up? You're more than a conqueror. My buddy Mark was, we were talking about this idea the other day, and what he said was this. He says, if I'm more than a conqueror, then I'm going to run the score up. If I'm more than a conqueror, I'm going to run the score up. I'm not going to play nice. I'm not just going to be okay with a little bit of victory, but I was made to be victorious. Sometimes we settle for a little bit of victory instead of the victory that we were meant to live with. Here's what's incredible. David kills this giant. And years later, his men, everybody who was afraid of killing giants, the descendants probably of those very men at that battlefield who continued to back down, maybe even some of those men, begin to kill giants. And before you know it, the giants, giant slaying was not that big of a deal. What was difficult yesterday becomes normal for today. The breakthrough that we walk in, the breakthrough that you're fighting for will become easy for the people that come after you. And so it's God's desire that we would not back down, but that we would stand in his name and see the victory that he's already given to us. You were made to be victorious. There is no weapon formed against you that will prosper. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to finish our time together by taking communion. Communion is not just about sin. You see, we have so often been so sin-focused that we've missed the point of communion. You see, the blood of Jesus doesn't just purify me from sin, but it actually unites me with Jesus. It puts me in his family. It means that the same blood that was in Jesus' veins in mine, I'm in his family, I belong to him, and I live in victory because he is in me. And so as we take communion this morning, what I want you to do is to be reminded that you are in a covenant. That's what communion is about. You're in a covenant with Jesus. You're his partner. He's your partner in battle. He's your partner in victory. And so as we learn to live out of all that's already been entrusted to us, communion is a great reminder that we are a victorious people, that we're not the underdog, but that we were made to be more than conquerors. And so this morning, I encourage you, if there's anything that you feel like in your heart is keeping you from walking with God, this is a good time just to return to him. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. This is a great time to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're fighting hard for spiritual health, for physical health, for emotional health. Here's what I want you to do is I want you to come to the table and I want you to receive the body of Jesus that was beaten so that you could be healed. The blood of Jesus that was poured out so that you could be made whole in union with him. And if you need prayer, our prayer team is going to come forward and they're going to pray with you, whatever it is. If you don't even know what you need prayer for, you can still come forward. They would love to pray for you, to bless you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for your love for each person here. Thank you that you care a whole lot about us, that you are in us, that you are victorious in us. God, I pray that we would learn to have eyes of faith, that we would see you and you and us the way that you see it, God. Lord, I thank you for breakthrough. I feel like there is healing today for hearts, for bodies. Even this last week, we're praying for a girl 
young woman who had ADHD and her symptoms left immediately. I believe that God wants to bring breakthrough this morning. 